Good morning. We have been in a series for the past several weeks called Soul Care and didn't plan it this way, but I just find it very appropriate that uh, we're finishing this series today here on a Veterans Weekend because I can see so many parallels between, I have, I have such a heart for our veterans, for, for the men and women. I didn't serve myself in the armed forces, and I'm just in awe of the, the sacrifice of those who did. And, and you guys, I'm sure know, more and more we're learning more and more uh, about the need to take care of our veterans, right? After the battlefield. You know, we equip them with all the, the weapons and the strategies, but we're learning more and more today how much, how important it is to take care of those who've come home. And uh, I was reading a statistic from the, the Veterans Association, and it was that up to 41, uh, at least 41 percent of our veterans uh, struggle with uh, issues related to mental health, and those usually are in the form of depression or anxiety or PTSD, things like that. And, and that's pr- more than likely underreported as, as well. And, um, and it got to me thinking about how the Lord, just, I really feel like God just sort of kind of, you know, grabbed us a little bit and, and changed our agenda for what we had planned for the last few weeks for a series here, and really wanting us to to shift our focus for just these few weeks on soul care for those in the church. Uh, you know, like, like the veterans, we, we learn how to, how to be good soldiers for Christ. How to, you know, that's one of the things you come here, you're going to hear a lot is how do we become more like Jesus so we can represent Jesus to the world? How can we help win the world for Jesus? How can we be good Christians, you know, living as image bearers of Christ? We, we talk about that a lot. And, uh, and it's important, it's important for us to take some time, and I just am so thankful um, to the Holy Spirit for, for doing this, for interrupting and upsetting our agenda to, to allow us to take this time to talk about how do we take care of ourselves as well. Next week, we're gonna, we'll be back t- talking about how do we be more like Jesus to the world, right? How can we go out there and be Jesus to this world that's so desperate to hear about him? Um, but these few weeks, we have been taking some time to, to help take care of you. And so that's, uh, I'm, I'm excited about what God's done, the testimonies from many of you that have just just let us know, and I appreciate that so much, just how much uh, some of these messages have, have meant to you um, and, and ministered to you. Today we're going to be in Psalm 77. We're going to finish up here. We're going to spend most of the morning in this psalm. It's a prayer right in the middle of the Bible. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. This morning I want to wrestle with what does it mean to pray, what prayer is, and what else prayer is. Uh, and uh, it's going to be good. I think we're going to finish the series strong today. And then we're going to celebrate uh, by all leaving and going to have lunch in just a, a few minutes here. By the way, this, is, this week is the last uh, week of home life. So uh, if, if you've been like, well, I'm going to go to home life one of these days, this is the week, uh, the last home life for the year, because we take uh, December off and then we'll start back up in January. But so home life groups are meeting this week. We've got groups on Thursday, Friday, we usually have a group on Saturday. The, the stairs uh, group that meets on Saturday, it's going to be shifting to Thursday night just this week. And uh, that's gonna, we're going to have a good time. And so uh, and encourage you to join us for that. Um, okay, Psalm... 77. All right. Uh, Real quick, this psalm, by the way, is not written by David. 
when we think of the Psalms, most of the time we kind of think of, you know, David, you know, the, the shepherd, the king, writing the Psalms. This is one of the Psalms that are a handful of Psalms written by a man named Asaph. And Asaph is so, such an interesting character. He's, he's a priest-like figure. He's a prophet sort of guy. And he's a musician in the court of the king. And there's several Psalms written by Asaph. And they are some of the most beautiful, just heart-moving Psalms. So I'm excited to look at this one. And um, this is Asaph, Psalm 77. And Asaph, you might could say, is having a bad day. Let's see. He says, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. He mentions this twice to God, to God. His postures towards God. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands and I would not be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned. That word means I was troubled. I remembered God and I was troubled. I meditated and then I felt all better after that because greater is he that is within me than he that is. No, he said, no, he meditated. And what happens? My spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. It's like insomnia. Anybody been there? I was too troubled to speak. I was too troubled to speak. So here's a man who has gone before the Lord. He's sitting before God he's too troubled to speak. The writer here is giving us a glimpse into his soul. And he says, I'll tell you how intense it was. I couldn't even find the words for what I was going through. It was too painful. It was too gut-wrenching. It, it, it was raising too many questions of what was going on inside me. Now, for many people, when you say, what is prayer? They would say, prayer is talking to God. And prayer is talking to God. But in the scriptures, we see that prayer is also looking to God at times when you have no idea what to say. So we could say it like this. Sometimes prayer is coming to God without saying a thing. The writer here says, I was in distress. I stretched out untiring hands all night long. In other words, this wasn't just a little like, now I lay me down to sleep. Prayer before going to bed. No, he's interceding all night. He says, my soul refused to be comforted. I remembered you, God, and I groaned because I was too overwhelmed. I was too troubled to even speak. So prayer is talking to God, and sometimes prayer is when you can't think of a thing to say except, <laughs> anybody ever been there besides me? That too is prayer. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. I want you to see how the, the New Testament writer puts it here. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And you've gone through something that's so overwhelming, so, you know, gut-wrenching. We use words like speechless or, or, you know, unspeakable. We can't put it into words. Romans chapter 8, Paul says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. This is the prayer we pray so often, Lord Jesus, come quickly. When you watch the news and you just see so much devastation and all you can do is just, oh, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come, Lord Jesus. Many of you know what we're talking about. 
you've been in a situation so extreme that it's it's like when you when you go into you want to go before the Lord, it's just this unintelligible groan, an ache, a desperation. He compares it to groaning as in the pains of childbirth. That's interesting. I've been in the room during childbirth twice, and uh, in many ways is a beautiful experience. There's not a whole lot of like proper logical things being said in there. There's a lot of yelling, a lot of groaning, some name calling, but I don't hold that against her, right? I mean, I understand. Um, but, it, it, you know, and it's groaning in anticipation of the joy and relief that's not yet apparent. It's not there. And you're still in the thick of it. You're in the middle of the trial. Let's look over at Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10, there's this amazing passage uh, about something, it's kind of bizarre, about something that Daniel, he has been praying about this, and an angel comes and gives Daniel God's answer in the form of this sort of futuristic apocalyptic vision. And it just blows Daniel's mind. In uh, verse 15, Daniel says, while he was saying this to me, I bowed with my face toward the ground and was, what does your text say? Speechless. In verse 16, he says, I opened my mouth and I began to speak. I said to the one standing before me, I am overcome with anguish because of the vision. So it's not a comforting type of thing. My Lord, I feel very weak. How can I, your servant, talk with you? My Lord, my strength is gone. I can hardly breathe. <sighs> he starts praying and he finds himself entering this whole realm that the only way he can describe it is, I have no idea what to say in response to what, what I'm experiencing. Sometimes our, you know, our, our most beautiful prayers are not when we're in the most anguish, right? Because we can really craft some nice prayers. We can come up with some really beautiful, faith-filled things to say to God when things are going well. It's in these moments when, ah, what do you say but, ah. And sometimes prayer is talking and it's interceding and that's awesome. But sometimes prayers when you're, whatever you're going through, you can't find any words. So let's go back to Psalm 77, our, our original scripture. There's this really interesting, odd bit of um, this habit that the Jewish writers have. They insert these certain things into the margins of the psalm sometimes to give you little cues. Uh, there's this mysterious word in Psalm 77. Most of the translations keep it in there. Some take it out, but most of the translations keep it in there. Notice verse 3, I remembered you, O God, and I groaned. I meditated, and my spirit grew faint. And then there's a pause, a gap, and this word, S-E-L-A-H, Selah. And then it, you see it again in verse 9, after verse 9, verse 15, there's a big gap, and then it says, Selah. And selah is, is a Hebrew note. It's, it's like a musical symbol. It's a little sign to stop and reflect as you're, as you're reading through these. Remember, most of these were being sung. So this is a place where you stop. It's like this holy timeout, right? A little sacred pause. And the writer has put these moments of Selah all through the psalm, 
because it's so intense. And, and we all have Selah moments. We have these moments in, in when we're, we're speechless about something. Something is so intense, we're speechless. Something, it might be something that's so beautiful, you just can't find the words for it. You walk outside in the morning and like to a sunrise, and you're just like, oh, right? Or, you, you know, you parents, you ever go up and you see like your, your child is like sleeping in bed. And it's just like that moment, you can't hardly speak. But you can also sailor when you're, your friend says, I just got the results back, and it's cancer. Or when they say, uh, when they come to you and they've just lost their job. And the first thing you want to do is, you know, if you're like me, you kind of want to be like really optimistic and say something helpful and like, hey, you know, it's going to be okay. You know, there's something, uh, the sun will come out tomorrow, bet your bottom dollar. And then you, you kind of quickly start to feel like, really stupid and like this is this is idiocy uh you know because you realize all these nice little cliches and and my great ideas here when what they need is to just sit there with them and join them in this painful awkward moment sit with them in silence right how many of you know what i'm talking about yeah and you're there for them and, and you're a partner with faith in them, and you're going to pray. There's going to be prayers. Oh, yeah, we're going to offer some prayers. But first, there's a moment of Selah. And it's because sometimes life is so beautiful, you can't find words for it. And sometimes life is so painful, you can't find words for it. I want to make a, another observation about Asaph's prayer. He refers several times to his uh, meditating, his deep contemplation about what he's going through. And he, he mentioned several times about his spirit or his heart, um, how he's searching through his thoughts and feelings. And, and this is really interesting to me because this is a person who's you know, very in touch with himself, right? He, he's, he's, he's not ignoring what's happening in him. He's not like, this isn't a guy who's like too tough to show emotion. No, he's not like, ah, it's fine. He, he prays from his soul. He prays from his soul. I might would write that down. He prays from his soul because it's possible in our prayer life to basically to go a whole week and all of our prayers basically extend to God, thank you very much for this meal, right? Thank you for getting us home safely. Amen. Pass the salt. But Asaph, he prays from somewhere. It's not just kind of up here. It's down here. It's, you know, it's down in the Hebrew mind that your, your gut was like the, that was the real center of your being was down here in your gut. So he's not in denial. He's not trying to ignore and everything. He's connected. He's not just connected with God. He's connected with himself. So he prays these verses. And then after this, you might expect because, you, know, we, we, you know, even if we do kind of have these moments where we're kind of lamenting before God, we kind of want to get that over with as fast as we can. You know, how can we just sort of get through this? That's the way we are with our friends. Our friends are telling us about something bad happening. We basically just want to fix them as fast as we can because it's kind of uncomfortable to sit there too long, right? Okay, okay, I hear you, but, you're right. You would think A7 at this point would say, and then I realized how blessed I am and everything is going to be okay. But instead, he leans in. And he asks God some really hard questions in verses 7 through 9. He's digging deeper. He says, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? 
Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? So some prayer, you know, is asking God to do things. That's typically what we think of when we think of prayer. I'm going to go ask God to do something. But sometimes prayer is just being honest about the way it feels right now. Right? And Asaph, man, he, he unwinds with this series of questions for God. He actually says, God, have you failed? And some of us would be like, when does the lightning bolt show up, right? Because I don't think you're supposed to say that to God, right? This is brutal. Naked, aching, crying out here. God, are you never? God, have you forgotten? And these questions aren't polite. They're not respectful. They're raw and honest. He doesn't hold back on his doubts and his frustrations. And in fact, I would say like when he's asking this question about God rejecting, that's really the question, God, are you loving? Are you really love, right? When he says something like, God, are you never going to show up? Have you vanished? It's really the question, God, are you present? Like, are you looking or do you see what's happening? Because I need your presence. God, have you withheld? Behind that question is really the ultimate question. God, are you good? Do I really believe that God is good? Because I'm... I'm not seeing much evidence in this situation right now for your goodness. And sometimes there's this kind of weird, twisted thing in some Christian circles. Um, especially, I'll say this about us charismatics. I, I, can, I can poke fun at us because I is one. I, I, I'm a proud charismatic, praise the Lord. But there's something that we can tend to do that somehow prayers are supposed to demonstrate not your need for God and your reliance and your humility before God, but like your prayers are supposed to only demonstrate like how you have it all together, right? Like a good prayer is one where you say, God, look how awesome I am, right? And on the other side, I will say, you know, kind of on the other side of Christianity, like some of maybe the more traditional or liturgical type Christianity, there's this idea, well, prayer has to be very polite, you got to be very polite. You, you know, have to use very nice formal language. And you know what? Polite? I looked in my little concordance. It's not in the Bible. The word is not in the Bible. Right? There's, polite is just not much of a value to God. It's really not. When the scriptures record the kinds of interactions that God seems desperate to have with his people, like Psalm 77, what you find is people being just absolutely bearing their soul to God. And if you're like me, you kind of read, you know, Asaph's prayer and you kind of cringe like, ah, don't say to God, did you fail, right? And the truth is, when you hear somebody saying that, that's probably the moment they're actually praying. They're actually taking God seriously because we have so many facades we, we like to pretend like everything's okay or, or that, you know, because we're a little bit afraid that God's going to find out we're not, at, you know, we're in anguish and we're not actually okay and he's going to like blame us, right? He's not going to be okay with us not being okay. Anybody ever have like that weird twisted idea? Like, I think I'm going to get in trouble for not being okay. As if we could ever hide anything from God. I mean, right? Well, we know that. And God's like, hmm, you're all good. Well, Okay, it sure seems like everything's falling apart, you know, but apparently it's fine, right? Um, and, and this relationship that's just built on, you know, wearing these masks, masks before God, it's, I, I gotta believe it's just absolutely offensive to the Father. 
to truly show God your love, to show him that you trust in him, at the very least has to begin with being honest with him. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, a true love, to show love and trust with somebody in your life, doesn't it begin with honesty? Doesn't it begin with showing them that I trust you enough to show you my real face? The, the late Tim Keller, he said something so brilliant, I don't remember exactly, but he was talking about David and some of the prayers that David prayed. And David also had some psalms where he was just like praying this kind of, these psalms of, of lament, these psalms of anguish and, you know, kind of lashing out a little bit. And he said, it's interesting that, it, it, you know, David's called a man after God's own heart, even though he like did all these terrible things. But he said, one of the reasons why is because even when David was crying out in the worst moments of his life and like saying these shocking things to God, he was saying them to God. And that just struck me, because how often am I tempted to, when I get really upset and I get really, you know, I'm all this, I want to leave the conversation with God and just go either handle it myself or get mad at God so I don't even talk to God. The, the, what, what's beautiful here, he's saying these things to God. There's never a time you see when David turns away and acts as if God doesn't exist. Asaph, he screams, are you there? And he's screaming it to God. And he knows he's screaming it to God. And that just blesses me that my God, who doesn't have a thin skin like I do, he can handle all my doubts. He can handle me crying in his presence. He can handle me shaking my fists, my tiny little fists. It doesn't threaten him at all. He can handle whatever questions you have. You know, what's God going to do? Is he going to be like, oh, no, that's a tough question. I mean, it made the universe, but that's a tough question. Ah, no, no, no. I think when you see somebody sometimes saying things to God that make us wince, what we're seeing is somebody who's actually praying. And much of what passes for prayer today is just, it's just acting. It's just drama, right? It's artifice. It's, it's hypocrisy. So whether we go to God with that wordless groan or, or a word-filled rant, you know, faith is knowing that God gets it, that he can handle it. And ultimately, he will handle it. In the book of Job, we won't go there, but I'll just tell you, in the book of Job, you know the story, Job was a righteous man, you know, he, he, he did all the right things, and then everything fell apart, and so he spends uh, chapter after chapter just crying out to God about his pain and his confusion, and in the end of the book, it's a long poetic book, and at the very end, when God is having the last word, it's not Job, but, but Job's friends that God rebukes. And these are the friends who, throughout the book, keep insisting that Job just uh, admit that he did something wrong and stop moaning about it, right? And God comes along and says, Job, with all of his anguish and some of his bad theology, he says, Job is the one proven blameless. And I never want to forget either that it is our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ himself, he revealed the depths of, of pain that a person can go through, hanging on the cross, alone, abandoned by his friends, feeling the weight of every sin on earth on his back. And what does he cry out to God? 
My God, why? Why? Because it feels like being forsaken. I believe, for me, I, I just believe that Jesus said that for our benefit. Crying out, why have you forsaken me? It sure feels like being forsaken. Is this ever you in these moments? Do you ever find yourself just thinking, man, God, yeah, I need some love. I need some hope. I need to become aware of your presence. I could use some power. I, I would love to know that you care. I just need a glimpse, just a little, you know, flower growing through the crack of the pavement here. I need an example of something good. Show me something. Show me something. If we go back to Psalm 77, notice in verse 10, now things shift gears considerably. The writer has just let God have it. Essentially, he's let all this out. And then in verse 10, he says, Then I thought, to this I will appeal, the years when the Most High stretched out his right hand. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I'll consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Your ways, God, are holy. What God is as great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the people. With the mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. There's that Salem moment. Mm, he's like thinking about that. He says, the water saw you, God. The water saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. He's likely referring back to the crossing of the Red Sea. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters. Through your footsteps. Though your footsteps were not seen, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So there's a significant shift of gears here, right? I want to do something. You got to help me out. Starting from the beginning, someone else count because I can't read and count at the same time. Every time we read an I or me or my, keep track of how many I's and me's and my's we come across in this uh, first half of the psalm. Verse one, I cried out. I cried out to hear me when I was in distress. I sought the Lord at night. I stretched out. I would not, uh, verse 3, I remembered, I groaned, I meditated, my spirit, verse 4, my eyes, I was troubled. I thought, verse 6, I remembered my songs, my heart, my spirit. Anybody knows a pattern? Uh, how, how many did you count? 19? Do I hear 20? 19. Okay. Interesting. Wow. And then in verse 7, right after that, he launches into those questions. And in verse 10 to 12, there's this sort of reflection and like a decision is being made here. And then notice what happens in verse 13. Your ways, what God is so great is our God. You are the God. You display your power with your mighty arm. You redeem your people. The water saw you, O God. The water saw you, verse 17. Your arrows, your thunder, your lightning, your path, your way through. Though your footsteps, 20, you led your people. So there's something like really significant here, right? I mean, that, that can't be by accident. Something around verse 10 or 11, the whole focus shifts from being all about him 
to being all about God. So we might put it this way. Um, sometimes, something this writer is discovering in, in the midst of his turmoil is that sometimes prayer is talking to God, but prayer is also listening to yourself. Anybody ever do this? It's talking to God, and as you're talking to God, how many of you have ever suddenly, you kind of had like a revelation, like, wow, you know what? My world really does revolve around me. <laughs> yeah. I really do have this like very limited perspective on this, and somewhere along the way, I have decided that my perspective is the perspective. It's listening to yourself and realizing wow, there are a lot of things that I don't know. And I have filled in all the gaps, right? I, I've jumped to conclusions. I've made all sorts of judgments about today and yesterday and tomorrow that may not entirely be accurate. It's just possible, right? They may not be accurate because, one, I am prone to confirmation bias, as we've talked about. And number two, I am not an omniscient being of all time and space. Hmm. You wonder if somewhere here, around verse 10 or 11, the psalmist went, hold on a minute. Or as N.T. Wright would say, hold on a minute. Maybe there's another perspective. Hmm, the whole thing shifts gears and it becomes in you, God. And what you've done and what, what I've actually seen you do in the past. And maybe in looking forward into my future, I need to stop and look back, and have I seen you do anything? I have, and maybe, maybe I ought to trust in that. For me, just to be transparent, it is super easy for me to go to a place that is all about me. It, it is. Um, man, this was like just, maybe like eight or nine days ago, I remember there was one night, I woke up in the middle of the night, you ever have these nights, you wake up in the middle of the night, and I'm like, all of a sudden, like, worried about everything. <laughs> like, as ridiculous as it sounds, everything was suddenly, at 3.30 in the morning, on my mind about everything that could go wrong, about everything. And, and just, and it's all just me, and what, what if I, what am I going to do, and what about this, and oh, this issue, and this, all these kind of things. And I mean, it was just kind of like this little weird spiral. And I just remember feeling like the Holy Spirit said, do you see how fast you go there? You talk this big game. Do you see how fast you go there? And it was, it was convicting, but it was comforting at the same time. And I just started praying, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. Because that's what I needed. I need his mercy. That's a little prayer. It's called the Jesus prayer. It's an old prayer. And I pray it sometimes. It's just like 10, 10 words long. And Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me. I think I prayed it like maybe four, five, six times. And I don't remember the seventh time because I went back to sleep. And, and just those moments when, you know, I get, it's so easy to think that um, everything's falling apart. God needs to adjust to my schedule, answer all of my questions right now. And it's easy for me to wonder where in the world is God, you know, is he going to show up? Because he needs to show up when I've decided he's going to show up because I've got the plan. And we see this pattern over and over in the scriptures, in the Psalms. We see this pattern uh, over and over. Now, I want to say something else too. Half, uh, the scholars estimate about half of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. Do you realize that? 
half of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. And think about this. The Psalms are like the worship service of the Bible, right? And half of them are lament. And so it's entirely appropriate. And it's why, like, not all of our songs that we sing up here on Sunday morning are just all celebration and whoopee, right? There's also the songs of humility and God, I needed you. I need you. And thank you for showing. And you're, you know, I'm going through this, right? That's, that's not bad. That, that's being biblical. Lament. Lament. And so Psalm 77, it's not some aberration. Like, how did that slip into the Bible? The pattern repeats, though, so often, so often when you read these, there's a heartfelt cry to heaven, this total anguish of the heart. And then, and then somewhere in the middle of things, right, this, like, like the other side of the pillow, just this cool breeze comes through, this little ray of sunshine comes through, there's a revelation, and, and there is a rediscovery of God's faithfulness. And sometimes in some of the Psalms you read, they're like with this big outpouring of praise, right? And they, it comes like, like this big, you know, just punch and woo, and God is great and he's gonna be, he, he is wonderful. And there's an outpouring of praise. And sometimes though, in some of these Psalms, it shows up as just a quiet decision to reshift focus, to just keep trusting God no matter what with, his, with the next right step. And you see this shift the shift happened so often where the psalmist just says, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to trust him with the next step. As, as I finish today, I want to I ask you a couple of questions. Did you, are you someone who brought stress and anxiety through these doors? And to pray is often not just to pray for stuff, but it's to pray to God, to ask God for perspective. Praying can often give us perspective. God, I need your view of this because I got this really narrow view of things. Help me to see things like you see it. But prayer is also to bring him your wordless surrender, your groanings, your sighs, your tears. When you've just given up trying to put it in your own words altogether, which, by the way, is are, are times that I am so grateful uh, to kind of have at hand many ancient prayers that I can, I can look at. I can pull these prayers out to pray. I can trust in them because they were written by people, Christians wiser than me, and they were in a much better frame of mind than I am in the moment, um, in that moment of my desperation. But whether it's your own words or, or you're unleashing to God or it's some ancient prayer that, you seem, that just seems to like capture your thoughts better than you could yourself, or it's that wordless groan as you kneel speechless in his presence. The greatest prayer, the greatest prayer is always the one that comes from your heart. Are you someone today who has, you got bills coming up and you don't know what you're going to do about them. Maybe you got relationships that you are like navigating like a minefield right now. How many of you are looking at the calendar and there's this thing called Thanksgiving in two weeks. And for many people, it's a wonderful celebration, but maybe for you, you're going to what some people call a family reunion and you call like a family rebellion because you know it's going to be awkward. There's going to be that fractured relationship and that uncle and that that person, that thing going on in the corner that's always going on. There's going to be that person who's always spouting off about that topic. And you're like, God, I need help. I need you to have mercy on me. 
because I'm going to want to rush to judgment. It's easy for me to get angry with that person. And I know my fuse, it's ready to crack with that group of people. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. So let me also just add this, just a little pastoral word. Um, We make a, a mistake when we suggest to people that they leave their problems at the door. You know, when they come to the house of God, leave your problems out there. This is the exact place you need to bring your hurts, right? Into his presence. We don't leave problems at the, at the door. We bring them and we lay them at the foot of the cross. That is where we lay our, our issues and our problems. Jesus said he did not come for the healthy, but for the sick. I, I have a friend who uh, recently was struggling with a severe attack of the devil. And... Um, just, there were a lot of prayers going out for this friend, uh, a lot of friends praying for this person. And one day this friend said, I'm just so tired of pretending for everybody that I'm okay. Uh, and I, I was like a, it was like a punch in the gut. I, and I got so angry, not at, my, not at my friend, I got so angry that they needed, they, they felt like they needed to pretend in the first place. Right? Why? Why would we, and I know it, it's unwittingly, but why would we make anybody feel like they need to hide what they're going through for our sakes? Right? Jesus Christ came with a message of hope. He came with love. He came with comfort for you. He came with hope and comfort for you. God is irresistibly drawn to the broken heart. That's the pattern we see repeated throughout the scriptures. He hears the cry like a moth to the flame. The cry, the cry of the heart, he flies toward it. He hears the cry. So cry out. Trust him. Trust him with your celebration, with your praise. Trust him with your lament. Trust him with your silence. But trust him with your heart because he can handle it. That's what he wants from you because he loves you. Can I pray for you this morning? Hallelujah. We bow your heads. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for being with us. Lord, we want to learn to pray. We want to learn to pray faith-filled prayers. But we also want to know how to meditate in our heart, how to question with our spirit, Lord God. We want to know how to commune with you in an authentic way, to really connect with you, not just out of some kind of habit, but a deep in the bones kind of thing, Lord. For some of us, Lord God, we, we just find ourselves exhausted. And so we cry out to you, King of Kings, because we don't have any other options. So teach us what prayer really looks like. Lord, teach us to be unafraid when we come into your arms and we cry, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. And we invite you, Lord, into the parts that we keep hidden away, the darkness and the doubts and the pain and the anxiety into our worries. Heal us, Lord God. Heal us. We invite you in, Lord God, because you are trustworthy. We know, Lord, we can pray in faith because you are faithful. And we take you at your word, Lord God, when you say that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you'll never condemn us for bringing it all to you. 
Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. And all the people said, amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? Our prayer partners are coming down right now. They would love to pray with you. If there's anything going on in your life uh, that you need somebody to just stand in faith with you, these guys would love to pray. If you are at that place, you just don't have the words. You don't have the words. These guys have the words. They can find the words when you can't uh, to pray that prayer. And so allow me to give you a, a benediction here, my brothers and sisters. May you embrace the risen Christ and embrace him in authentic prayer. Not just talking to God, but surrendering your whole self, your true self, aware, being aware of his love and his presence. May you be transformed by the God of the universe who created you. May you cry out to the king and may that king hear you, both your words and your silence. Grace and peace be with you. Bye-bye.